one of the things that we realized, my wife and I as chiropractors, is that a lot of people in the service world, they don't want to be entrepreneurs. It's like this taboo thing. They don't think that they should have to market or sell their services. They're just like, I'm so good. People are just going to start lining up to see me. And we wanted to write a piece that would help service providers to literally fall in love with the idea of being an entrepreneur. It's not just something that we have to do begrudgingly, but that we can actually romantically love this thing of being an entrepreneur because of the doors that it opens. And ultimately, for service providers, what it does for us is it allows us to see or reach more people, make an even bigger impact, which is what we're all trying to do. And then, of course, as a byproduct, we get the lifestyle that goes along with that. Welcome. You are listening to the Hero of the Hour podcast, the show dedicated to empowering you to take financial freedom into your own hands. Through expert interviews with decades of experience, this show will give you not only the tactical strategies of what's working in business, but the appropriate mindsets to master your financial future and build generational wealth. Heroes and entrepreneurs operate with a similar anything is possible mentality. And that is exactly what our show is about. Your host is none other than Mark B. Murphy, CEO of Northeast Private Client Group and best-selling author of three books, all dedicated to helping others plan for generational wealth. He and his team are on a mission to share their knowledge and techniques so that others can enjoy a life of financial security and freedom. Get ready to be inspired to create the life of your dreams. Let's go. On today's episode of the Here of the Hour podcast, Mark chats with Dr. Sean Dill, a highly sought out chiropractor, author, speaker, and CEO of Black Diamond Consulting. In this episode, they discuss Dr. Dill's extensive chiropractic practice in Costa Rica. They also touch on Dr. Dill's thoughts on why he believes everyone has an obligation to be wildly successful. Not only that, you'll get an exclusive look into the origin of his best-selling book, None of Your Business. Something Dr. Dill said that really stuck with me is that everyone has something to provide, and that is the secret. Get ready for an incredible episode. Thank you so much. Hi, I'm Mark Murphy, founder and CEO of Northeast Private Client Group and the author of my latest book, The Ultimate Investment. But I'm happy to have a friend. I'm happy to have somebody that I truly respect. In fact, uh, Sean, I mean, you may not know this, but we call it the Hero of the Hour podcast because you know I, I just interview people that I think are either heroes to me or heroes to other people. I think you're in both categories and uh, I'm excited to talk to you. So I think sort of the topic that we're going to talk today is relationships over revenue. But all I can tell you is that there are an awful lot of people that own a business that think they're entrepreneurs and they really aren't entrepreneurs. They bought themselves a job. So as somebody that is an entrepreneur's entrepreneur and coaches entrepreneurs all over the world, I just want to welcome you to the podcast. Well, thank you so much. And what a touching way to start the, the hero of the hour. I appreciate that. <laughs> I, I also, you're, you and your wife are fellow authors as well. And you've got uh, the name, the name of your book is none of your business which I think you can get at Amazon and, you know, and, you know, you can tell people where else they can get it because I think it's a, it's a, it's an amazing read, but tell me how you came up with the idea of the concept and tell people what they'd read in none of your business. 
Well, you know, the first part of that is is the inspiration comes from one of my mentors, Michael Port, who wrote the New York Times bestselling book, Book Yourself Solid, for service providers to help them to get booked solid. And I was fortunate enough to meet him and work with him for a number of years. And one of the things that we realized, my wife and I as chiropractors, is that a lot of people in the service world, they don't want to be entrepreneurs. It's like this taboo thing. They don't think that they should have to market or sell their services. They're just like, I'm so good. People are just going to start lining up to see me. And we wanted to write a piece that would help service providers to literally fall in love with the idea of being an entrepreneur. It's not just something that we have to do begrudgingly, but that we can actually romantically love this thing of being an entrepreneur because of the doors that it opens. And ultimately, for service providers, what it does for us is it allows us to see or reach more people, make an even bigger impact, which is what we're all trying to do. And then, of course, as a byproduct, we get the lifestyle that goes along with that. You know, when people initially, when you say sort of where you started, you know, you and you and Lacey own 13 chiropractic practices. You're both doctors. That would be overwhelming in a full-time job plus for everybody else on the planet except you two. You have to wear a cape with an S on your chest to do it. But when I say you're an entrepreneur's entrepreneur, do you want to share a little bit about your chiropractic business? But the thing that that uh, you know, where I first got to know you was through the Black Diamond Club, and uh, start anywhere you like. Start with chiropractic, but but tell people what the Black Diamond Club is. Well, I cut my teeth in chiropractic. I practiced in Costa Rica for many many years, and I built what is arguably the world's largest. I, the type of chiropractic I did is upper cervical. Built a massive upper cervical practice there. Subsequently, my my two daughters were entering into school, and so I didn't love the schooling system in Costa Rica. So we moved back here. And then when I got here, I realized like people didn't practice chiropractic the way that I was doing it in Costa Rica. And people began to ask me. And so actually what we did is we started a franchise. So the franchise is called the Specific Chiropractic Centers. Um, and then we began to scale up the offices there. And then other people that weren't chiropractors started to ask me, can you help me? And I was like, well, that's an interesting thing. And then that's where Michael Port entered in, began to mentor with him. Um, and began helping other service providers because the concepts are the same marketing and sales and then you know the money part of it all of that is the same people are people people want help and so we started this thing called the black diamond club initially we just had about probably 50 people that were you know in a community on facebook and we started to put out a weekly podcast and speak to them um and today i think uh, right right before the recording of this podcast we're at 725 members in, in the group um, we do live events. We've been blessed through this idea of relationships to meet some really amazing other entrepreneurs and put on some collaborations with them. Um, but we also own seven Everbowl stores, the uh, Acai Bowls. And so we um, dabble on that. And then, of course, as you know, our, our relationship and our work with you, we have um, our hands in a few real estate things here and there and you know, just other entrepreneurial early stage startups, Lacey and I. Um, probably you would tell us to probably stop putting so much money in those moonshots, but we we have a passion for those as well. I can't remember with all the conversations we've had, if we ever talked to Mike about Michael and Amy Port, but I think they wrote they wrote a, a blurb on for my book. Uh, I I literally have sent every one of my advisors to heroic public speaking to tutor under Michael and Amy, and oh my gosh. Uh, in fact I 
I've encouraged uh, uh, United States senators and and congressmen and politicians to go go there. I think anybody who speaks even one on one for a living, much less in front of thousands of people, uh, I think they can help. And I think they are brilliant. And uh, they've been incredibly helpful to me as well. In fact, their organization helped write my second book. Oh, perfect. So Michael was testing heroic public speaking. Um, so before heroic public speaking, and I think I was one of the very first test subjects. Wow. Then he actually created a, um, a virtual program that was in, it was filmed in San Francisco, and I lived there at the time. And so I called him and I said, would you let Lacey go onto the program? Um, and so people, you can still buy this program. It's out there somewhere. And so you can see young Lacey learning how to command the presence and how to how to deliver a message. So it's a it's a it's a fascinating thing. And I 100 percent agree. Heroic public speaking is is a plus um, anybody that wants to deliver a message and you're inspired to do that. Maybe you have a little bit of fear. You don't know how to structure your talk. Um, yeah, that's Michael and Amy are the best. I mean, it was you know, I, I did a fair amount of speaking, but, you know, I mean, it was a it was just terrific. But, uh, you know, they're they're not here today, but we I know we both honor honor them uh, quite a bit. There's 725 members, and I know you're growing like rapidly. Who are the kind of folks? So, so if I'm if I'm a business owner, I'm an entrepreneur. Who are the types of folks that get attracted? And they say I've got to be part of the Black Diamond Club. Who are they? Who, who's, who's your who's your tar- who are the people that? What kind of problems are they having? What kind of needs do they have? Where somebody goes, this is you know just like we we work with Michael and Amy, they got to work with Sean and Lacey. Well, they're service providers. They provide a, a service out to the world. They have a big vision. So, you know, the common thing is like, man, if more people knew what I know, more people knew what I did, I'd really be able to impact the world. And they see that as that's the obstacle. They know that what they have, they're sitting on this gold mine, but they just don't know how to piece it together. So they don't understand or they struggle with feeling good about marketing and or they don't understand it. They're like, what is, you know, what am I supposed to do? Just put a, you know, an ad in the yellow pages or I, you know, social media, what's working today? How do I structure it? And then they have struggles or difficulties around sales. You know, when we provide a service, because it's not a tangible thing. So I come to you and maybe if you're a psychologist, you talk to me and I get a benefit, but I didn't leave with something in my hands. And so how do we place a value around that? And how do we get comfortable with selling, charging people. And so when you are super excited and passionate about this thing that you do, but there's this gap and that gap is business, it's sales, it's marketing. Black Diamond Club helps you to fill in that gap. But I'll, I'll tell you what even more important for me is that um, Black, Black Diamond Club is a community. It's a network of supporting of supportive individuals. You know, there's a lot of sort of groups that you might be plugged into um, and especially if they get to be larger sized, where there's a lot of sort of um, maybe competition or, hey, look at me, you know, the peacock feathers come out. Um, what really makes me very proud is on any given day um, in our community, you might see somebody say, hey, guys, I made my first hundred dollars today. And you'll see all these people saying, you know, cheering them up and saying, that's great. And I mean, five hours later, you might have someone say, listen, you know, my trailing year, I just I just clipped 3 million in the same response. Nobody's like, well, if you're doing 3 million or 5 million or 10 million, you must be cheating. Um, we support each other and we want to see everybody win. And I think, you know, if you also are longing for that in your life, um, Black Diamond Club is a place for you. I'm trying to think, you know, how many business, I'm trying to think of any business that would not need Black Diamond Club. And the one thing that I appreciate with what you, you do is that 
there, there are so many different ways you can enter it that it's affordable for everybody. There's not one business that can't afford it. And there's all kinds of levels of things that you can do that I think you, you, the, the very fact that, you know, there's an awful lot of people that help people at the very, very high end. And I, I don't think anybody does it better than you guys do. But I, I love also the fact that you're bringing in that that I, I think I think you're you can get in for as low as I think ninety nine dollars a month with a very basic program uh, that that you have, and and I got to tell you that there are so many people that are starting out or are are not making money in the beginning or don't know what to do, but they want to be entrepreneurs. They just don't have a roadmap, and I, I think that's you know I think that that to me is is serving the greater good by allowing everybody to be part of the community and and you and you've got you've got tools, resources, and techniques at all levels from the from the very most successful and the wealthiest to folks that are just starting out. And I, I, I respect that and appreciate that a lot. How did, how did you, uh, how did, how did this develop? Now, this is, this is, you're at 725. Do you want to tell people some of the, some of the, some of the cool things that you're doing? I mean, I mean, I, I know you've got a trip to a castle in Scotland coming up. You've got, uh, you know, I mean, there, there's some really wild things. And all I can tell you is that the, I've got to meet a lot of people that you're coaching and, uh, I could not have met more a more uh, gracious people who had gratitude for what you've done and have appreciated uh, the role that you've played in their life. I mean, to a to a to a person. Yeah, you know, we we our team has a, a passion for live events. Um, we love getting people together. Building community is one of our biggest values, and so we do a lot of cool things. Like you said, we've done um, experiential masterminds on a private island in the Caribbean. Um, we took a group to the Indy 500 last year and this year, yes, we're going to the Kinross Castle in Scotland coming up in June. And those um, bigger masterminds are done in partnership with my good friend, David Meltzer. Um, he and I go and we take a group of about 20 people and for, across three days, we sit in, 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 in round table and we literally break apart um, your business. We discuss what's working and what can be improved, and we provide insights. We eat great food, we drink great wine, and more importantly, you know, I I, I want to come back to that. Um, you know, I, I I super appreciate you know all of the kind words, but I I really want everybody to know the real value is in the community. It's in the other people. I love to go to different events. And yeah, maybe, you know, maybe like even if I go to an event and Mark Murphy's speaking or Lisa's speaking, and I'm like, this is great. And, th and that's fantastic. But the real value is everybody else that's in that room because, you know, we all came to the event because we were in pursuit of something similar, maybe not the exact same thing, but we're on the, we're on a similar journey. And when we can meet people and find that commonality, that really is what propels the growth. I mean, yeah, the person on the stage is great. It's fantastic for me to have the opportunities. I mean, I'm the one that gets to meet you. You've been super gracious and we've done super cool things together. But for somebody that's thinking about like, hey, I, I think I want to be a part of that. It's not just me. It's everybody who's a part of the group. And like you said, you've been able to meet um, some of them. I got to tell you, these are some amazing human beings, as are the the, the listeners of, of your podcast. I mean, everybody has something to provide and value. And I think that's the secret. If we can join them and connect them, then really amazing things um, come out of it. You know, you're, uh, I, you know, it is interesting, but there is, I mean, there, there's clearly, you're the epitome of the law of attraction, meaning you and Lacey serve other people. You, you elevate other people. Clearly it's not a, a coincidence that the people that are attracted to the black diamond club are people that have a similar mind, mind thought. 
know, if they were if they were just about raping and pillaging and and revenue only uh, or all those other th- you know any any word you want to say, I don't think they would have found the Black Diamond Club. But uh, you know, is isn't it interesting that as long as the people we work with are people, and as long as the clients, customers, or patients are people, we're not in the chiropractic business or in the financial services business or in the widget business. We're in the people business. And it's amazing to me that very smart people, and you quote coach a lot of very successful smart people, how that beca- how that's such a revelation to them. Why, why do you think that is that something that in many ways would seem so basic is so such a mystery? Well, because it's easy, and especially when we're talking about things that require um, any sort of formal training, it's easy to get caught up in the formal training part, right? So you have to go to school to learn a craft, and you just spend all of your time immersed in that. And and it's easy then to place your value only on the thing that you do. Um, And I think that's very, um, first of all, honorable, right? Because you dedicated your life to that. But then what you realize is, well, there's other people that do what I do, right? There's other dentists, there's other financial planners, there's other lawyers, why would somebody pick me? And interestingly, it's be- not because of what you do. Like I pick you because you're a dentist. It's because of who you are. It, become- it becomes more about understanding that people are choosing you because of what you put out, not because of what you do. And then the last thing I do- I'll speak to too, I think it's interesting because I've watched people on the journey. One of the things that, that and I, I know that you you speak to this, let me see if I can use your words is, um, you, you evolve from getting paid for what you do to what you know, right? And so you also see this idea of mentorship or being collegial and raising others up because you all of a sudden drop this idea of competition because you realize that we're in the people business. So people have choices and I resonate with certain people, you resonate with certain people, but believe me, there's plenty of people that I don't resonate with. There's plenty of people that don't like like me. And you know what? That's okay because there's other people that do what I do that will be able to service them. And I think that that expansion of the consciousness and the mindset to where you realize like I wasn't put on this earth to serve everybody. But one of my revelations was, well, if I understand that, well, I better get busy finding the people that I was put on this earth to serve because it would be a shame if I was put on this earth to serve somebody but I was sitting on my couch or I was wallowing in pity or I didn't want to learn marketing and therefore I missed opportunities to make an impact. And so I think that's a a, a really great thing as you begin to understand it, it really isn't even about the thing that you do. It's about the service that you provide into the world. You know, that that is the, there's such incongruency, I think today with people, I want to be successful, but I want to sleep till noon or I want to be successful uh, but I'm not willing to go out and find new customers. Uh, it's it's um like I, I find the incongruity with people. What percentage of people do you think are coachable where they sit down and go, hey, Sean, please help me. I want to do better, but I'm obviously have behavior that's not working or is incongruent. Do you think you can take you do you think as an example, you can take transactional people and make them transformational? Yes, that can occur. But let me tell you what the what the the litmus test of that is. People that say, I want to be successful, but then they don't work. Honestly, they don't really want to be successful, especially if they receive guidance and somebody's like, hey, hey, listen, um, it happens a lot in healthcare, right? Like, well, I went to school because I thought that, you know, doctors only work three days a week. Like, okay, well, maybe they do after 40 years of practice, but that's not how they start. 
And so you have to, the litmus test is this, is I think that people really are misguided by their goals and aspirations. And I think that what happens a lot of times is that people are told that this is what you should do, maybe from your parents. So maybe early on, your parents were like, you need to be a doctor or a lawyer, and this becomes part of your programming. Um, But then later on in life, um, your colleagues start to tell you, you know, in in the healthcare space, the first benchmark is you want to have a million dollar practice. And I always tell people, like, where did that come from? Why, what, do you really want a million? If, if that's what you really want, then you could begin to string along the steps of what it would take to get there. You would seek coaching and mentorship, and you would understand that if that's truly what I wanted, this is what I would have to do. If I wanted to compete in a body building competition, but I didn't like going to the gym, (laughs) that's not going to work out, right? Right? And so I think we have to begin with what is it that you really are trying to do? I think one of the great things about entrepreneurship is it allows you to build the final product that you want, right? But I think that a lot of people don't know the final product as they're going into the deal. So they kind of look around, they ask some people, and then they start building other people's houses. It's like, if you're the architect of your life, you're not going to use someone else's blueprint. And so too often people are using someone else's blueprint. And so it just doesn't resonate. It doesn't fit. That's why they then they, they, they struggle. That makes perfect, perfect sense to me. I also wonder when you talk about entrepreneurs, what is your debt? When you talk about entrepreneurs, we talked about that with the people you coach, what percentage of the people, like I, I find like an all go to a room of service providers or business owners. And I'll ask them how many people are entrepreneurs, and they almost all raise their hand. And in about thirty seconds, they realize they they probably have, you know, have not bought the are not entrepreneurs. They more bought themselves a job, uh, maybe a good paying job, maybe a very successful job, but a job. When you say entrepreneur, what do you mean by entrepreneur? What what is that definition of entrepreneurism to you? Well, first of all, I, I absolutely agree. Um, in fact, it's one of the concepts in the book about people who, you know, they had a job and then they're like, oh, screw this. I'm going to go become an entrepreneur. But really what they realize is now they just work for themselves. Working for yourself is not the same thing as being an entrepreneur. Just because you're the boss and now you are also, you know, the integrator or operator or laborer, you just created the exact same situation that you had previous to that. If I were to ask my clients initially, what are you pursuing? doing? What is the end result? And again, this is, I think, just programming. People will often tell me I'm looking for freedom. I want freedom financially, and I want freedom from time. Um, basically, what I want is I want to be able to do what I want when I want. Now, this is these are all very common goals because I think it's said a lot. But I oftentimes stop back and I'm like, okay, but let's say, I mean, and if you're passionate about you know the work that you do, um, you, Mark, I know you don't have to work. You don't have to do this podcast. You don't have to, we don't have to be recording. This is, isn't going to make a difference in you being able to make ends meet. So then we look at you and we say, well, what is Mark pursuing? And I think it all comes down to options. And again, I think this you have to define, but we want the option. I want the option to be able to go in and do the thing that I'm passionate about, but I also want the option to not. I want the option to be able to fly private, or I want the option to be able to fly commercial. I want the option to take a month off, but I also want the option to work that whole month. And I think that really begins to define that entrepreneurial journey. The reason why we sacrifice, because it's not easy. You know, in the beginning, you make these sacrifices because we're trading options. We're we're moving up to where we have options. You can cash them in, 
or you cannot. Um, most people that I know that actually achieve this freedom, like, wow, you did it. You, you, you had an exit and now you don't have to work. They end up going back to work because right, right. they're like, that, that wasn't what I was chasing. What, what we're all really chasing is options. So I think that a true entrepreneur is building something and it doesn't even have to be a business. We're building something that provides us options. Have you noticed that life is getting more and more expensive? From grocery prices to real estate values, everywhere you turn, prices seem to be skyrocketing. Well, Mark has dedicated decades of his career and life to serving entrepreneurs and professionals to build real wealth, and in most cases, multi-generational wealth. The reality is, we all have to navigate turbulent times in this economy. But the difference will be for those that have a roadmap and a customized plan for building wealth. That's why, as a listener to this podcast, we are so excited to share with you first access to Mark's newest book, The Ultimate Investment, a roadmap to grow your business and build multi-generational wealth. When you access this book, you'll discover how to know when you're working a job instead of a business. That hard work isn't all about hours put in. This will make you more productive. Why you need to live with your back against a wall. How to surround yourself with the right people who support your vision and so much more. Go to www.markbmurphy.com forward slash book to get access now. Once again, go to www.markbmurphy.com forward slash book. And now, back to the show. One of the things I always have a, a great appreciation for, now that I have my son, Lucas, who you know well, uh, and may have more family members in our business, you know, in these closely held family businesses, you work with your wife. She's your partner. She's your partner in every, you know, and it seems to work beautifully. What challenges do you think people have that work with their family members or with their spouse? Is that because, because it's, I'm not sure if I want to spend that much time with myself, <laughs> you know? <laughs> well, it, it can become a tremendous advantage or disadvantage. And, and I got to tell you, so it wasn't always super easy for us. Um, because when we started out, what happens is, you know, when you are married or, you know, even if you, you know, probably not with with a, a son or daughter, because there is a degree of hierarchy there. Yeah. But when you're married, you're like, we're both equal. And I think that that's the part that causes all of the challenge. And, and there was a point when Lacey and I sat down and I said, you know, what I really feel like has happened to us is that we are two people doing the work of one. Like there could be one person doing all of this, but we're choosing to do it as two. And that's not effective or efficient. And what we have to do is find a way to be two people doing the work of four. And so, you know, super cliche, but number one is communication. It is that. It is being able to say, look, we have to be on the same page so that we're not just duplicating efforts and sitting down. You know, you come in because you want to pitch and then there's just two of us sitting here um, and we're looking at each each other. It, it could just be one. But the second part of that for me was um, being very clear about our roles. So we had to sit down and say, okay, listen, I mean, and I'm talking about in everything. Like, what do you do? What are you in charge of? And what do I do? What am I in charge of? Um, a lot of it has to do, Lacey has this very brilliant, and if anybody wants it, you know, they can email me, sean at blackdiamondclub.com. It's very simple, but she has this thing called a delegation matrix. And, you know, you take a look at, you know, what are the things that you do that you are really good at and you love doing, right? So you're like, I'm really good at this and it's and I love it. What are the things that you are terrible at and you hate doing? 
And then you have the in-betweens, right? So you have what you are kind of okay at and you hate doing it. And then you have, I love doing it, but you're not so good at it. Right. And so then we're able to then look at these things and delegate and say, look, all of the things that I'm really good at and I love, I should take those. And all the things that you're really good at and you love, you should take those. And then we have to have a discussion about the things in the middle. And we've got to make sure that we're never doing things that we're bad at and we hate doing. Right. So we might have to that will fill fill in with hiring or delegation. And once we're clear on it, we just execute. So I don't sit around and second guess Lacey like, oh, I wonder if this thing got done or if this decision is being made, because I know that's her role. Um, and I know even though she's not an employee, because there's other parts where it's it's reversed, right? That has allowed us to amplify our power because there's two of us. Imagine that you, you as the CEO or as the owner of your business, you were actually two people that would be even more powerful than we're it is now. And people always ask that question, how do you do it? And the, the real key is, you know, effective communication and delegation and respect for each other's roles. Yeah. Uh, by the way, I, I can't think of anything better than to work in your unique ability most of the time. And, uh, you know, and by the way, if you're not doing the crappy stuff or the stuff you're, you're not, not very good at, you're working in creation fascination mode all the time. Uh, the, the time goes by pretty quickly because you're, you're, you know, it, 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 God, how, how sad do I feel for people who are counting the day, the minutes to the end of the day or the end of the week to the weekend or to the retirement date where I think guys like us don't have enough hours in the day. We're so excited to get to work. We just want to make sure we get it all in. The great Joe Dispenza talks about this. And, and, you know, I want to pull everybody back to our childhood days when you talk about like the creation fascination mode. You know, when, when, when young, young kids are playing, you know, the old days when you'd play outside. And then you would be called in, um, you know, your parents would say, hey, Mark, it's time to come in. Um, when you're in a true state of play, you lose track of all time and space. And look at kids, you know, they're like, what? And they're like, yeah, it's dinner time. And they're like, but I'm not hungry. How many times have you been working? And then at the end of the day, you're like, I forgot to eat lunch. But then they say, hey, but it's getting cold out. At least come and put a jacket on. And they say, but I'm not cold, right? They, like you lose yourself in the state of play. And, and to your point, how cool would it be if you created a world where your work, activities that you get paid for, were all play, where you went in and you lost yourself in a state of time and space, You time flies by, you forget to eat, you don't know if it's hot or it's cold, and then all of a sudden people are turning off the lights and you're like, well, that's it, the day's over? For me, that's what it's all about, is trying to find that space in our lives. You know, you know what's fascinating when I think about it is, I work like you. I work. I work like a lunatic. You know, I'm, I am. I am just love what I do, but I never feel any stress from the work. It's you know, if the kids are one of the kids is having a problem, or if you know something that's external that comes in, or something like like that kind of stuff. Uh, stress that stuff stresses me out to the, to no end. But the work stuff never had any stress because I'm in control and I'm in my playground when I'm here. There's zero stress, so it doesn't. Even if you work an 18 hour day, day after day, not that I do every day, but you work these crazy hours. Doesn't seem like work. If it didn't seem like work, I would quit. You know, you want to. I want to pay you a compliment also too, because in all the time we've spent together, both in business and socially, and and in the middle, one of the things that I admire about your relationship with Lacey is I've seen you interact where you were clearly partners, and I've also seen you clearly interact when you were when you were partners in business. I saw you. I've seen you interact when you were husband and wife. And I've seen you interact as friends. 
you know, meaning meaning that that in a way where I where the the thing that I, I from somebody who advises family businesses for many years, like myself, I find that oftentimes the relate the business relationship supersedes everything, and the friendship and the 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 marriage takes a back seat. You mean Thanksgiving dinner is just another board meeting. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, you know, or you know, or getting away on a on a romantic weekend is just another reason to to talk about the problems at the office, or the or the challenges or the opportunities. And I think that one of the things where I, you know, just I've I've interacted with you, and the reason I asked that question earlier about about the two of you is because I think you do that superbly. Oh, thank you. And you know, I think that oftentimes people talk about boundaries. Just to that point, we don't have like a rule that like, hey, after five o'clock, we don't talk about that. But I think that it's the environment dictates, you know, kind of where we are. And I think that we, because we have found a degree of success, we have a life where we do have options. And so inside of those options, we're able to understand that when we're in a social setting or even just for ourselves, when we're disconnecting, we're not bringing business into those conversations. So that doesn't mean that at, you know, 7.30 at night, we get a, a message or a phone call that we don't go back into business mode and say, oh, no, it's... It's past five o'clock. Um, and I know a lot of people that do that, that they're like, hey, after a certain time, you know, I just disconnect. Um, but we just kind of navigated, I think, environmentally. I remember when I first came, you know, talking about the club, I were talking about reminding me of something when I first started where as an advisor, you'd go out to lunch with some of the senior guys once in a while. And I was like 22 or 23. And they had a rule. You couldn't talk business. You could only talk about sports and sex. And <laughs> after a couple of lunches, I realized they... I realized two things. None of them knew anything about sports and none of them were having sex. So I only wanted to talk to them about business. So uh, I'd be a little, I'd be a little, a little, a little crass or a little uh, tongue in cheek. But uh, no, I think that's, uh, I just reminded, reminded of those days. Black Diamond Club has gotten so successful so quickly, but I know you're always forward thinking. What would be the next iteration? What What do you think Black Diamond will be doing in three years from now or five years from now? What How do you think it'll change? What What is the vision that you see to add even more value to the people you're you're working with? Well, I, I see us getting a, a little bit broader. You know, a lot a lot of our clients are in the healthcare space, um, and now there's a couple of opportunities for us to expand our verticals into other industries, other dynamics, other communities. And I also see the on the higher end side to more opportunities, you know, uh, relationships like you, um, you know, one of the, one of the problems that occurs in, in, in doing good consulting. So you, you take somebody who's maybe a startup or an intermediate business and you give them some guidance and they become successful. Well, you know, as you know, when you're creating wealth, that creates problems if you don't know how to navigate it. Um, because all of a sudden your 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 as you call it the money machine is spitting off all of this money, and you're like, well, I don't know what to do, right? I don't know how to, I don't know what to do relative to taxes. I don't know what to do relative to investing. Um, and so, you know, I I value and cherish relationships with people like you because um, and and we've had you speak to our groups because I do see that um as sort of a next level. And, and the next level beyond that, I think it would be interesting if we could discover a way. And I know it would be challenging. But to plant these seeds into the mind of the young entrepreneur, or let's say the young business, I mean, not by age, but you're starting a business and understanding that I'm creating, I, I'm creating this money machine and I would like to have a, an investment or a financial plan on the back end. Um, I think that will give them a lot more success. You know, I, I run into this and I don't know about you, but I, I, I run into a lot of clients and then usually there's kind of like this 
sort of you could tell like they want to talk to you about something that they're they're embarrassed about. And I'm like, okay, well, just just what, what's going on? And they're like, well, you know, um, you know, taxes. And I they tell them, look, look, almost every single successful entrepreneur that I've ever worked with has had an IRS problem because they made so much money. They didn't know that they were going to owe that much money. And so they're on a payment plan. There's no shame in that. And a lot of them, almost all of them have had credit problems at some time in their lives. Why? Because they're big risk takers. But I look at this and I think, well, what if there was a way that we could avoid that pitfall? Not so much because of what it costs them monetarily, but because it impacts their 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 self-confidence. People are always ashamed. And that's what I mean. They're like, well, you know, I have this problem, Sean. Um, and and it's hard to do successful business, which they are successful. That's why they have the problem. But it's hard to do that when you feel like, you know, I'm a loser because I'm not paying my taxes and, you know, now my credit score is dropping and all of these things. And I think if we could avoid that, you know, long term, a true plan where we could literally take someone by the hand and guide them into, a, you know, a multiple seven figure business. You know, one of the things that I'm sort of passionate about, I think, as a fellow entrepreneur, entrepreneurs are uh, an endangered species, you know, not only because of all the regulation, not only because of the capital requirements, um, but when we were young, people that were successful in entrepreneurs were revered. Now, I think there's a culture where people should be embarrassed about their success. You know, you should be embarrassed, Sean, that you and Lacey have worked your you-know-what off for all these decades to create success and wealth. And like, you should be embarrassed by that. And I think that should be celebrated. I I, I never got, you know, pe- the, to one of the things that, that is a pe- pet peeve to me is people that have just enough are some of the most selfish people I know historically because they ha- don't have anything else for anybody else. They have just enough for themselves. And I think one of the things that entrepreneurs do is they lift other people up. They elevate other people. It's not just about creating wealth for themselves. It's about creating wealth for their community. It's about giving back. It's a legacy spreading jobs and opportunities that entrepreneurs have. I I get a, a kick out of all of the people that I've not only helped them buy their house, but educate their kids because of what we created. You've done that. And we've done that. We've done that for how many thousands of people, if we extrapolate that from, from the work we've done, it might be hundreds of thousands between us and people, there's a kind of a subculture out there, or maybe even a, not even a subculture who's trying to tell us we should be embarrassed for that. What do you tell people who are entrepreneurs in your group? Well, you know, you cannot give what you don't have. And most of the people that I work with, and I think that's a good sort of qualifier, they have a big service heart. And so they want to be able to give, you know, if you can't afford to pay your rent and keep the lights on, well, the service is over. And so that's literally where it starts. Like you have an actual obligation to be wildly successful if you're actually trying to service the world. Look, if we were selling pens, maybe there is some argument there like, well, why'd you have to sell billions of pens and you, you had enough? Um, and that's really not a good argument, but mm. if you're serving, um, there's an endless, endless supply of service, which also too, as you were saying that kind of, um, an, an interesting conversation I'd you know, love to, to have with you is one of the things is that Lacey and I have done is to hack this idea where you're like people that don't have, they're kind of like, you know, hoarding their own and, and that is passed down from your parents. Um, and I think that's a part of the shift. Is that you know culturally, my parents told me you know the holy grail was hopefully you'll be successful enough one day to buy a house, and so you go into this thing of like I'm saving all my money because I want to buy a house like that was the that was what's happening, 
today's younger generation, we're seeing they're not buying houses. They rent and they do other things. So there's a, a, a financial shift. But one of the big realizations that Lacey and I had is that it's not a zero sum game. That, you know, I think that part of it is to think that, well, my gain is someone else's loss. And I think this got proven over the pandemic where just, poof, we can just manufacture money. And part of that too is that we, and people always say this, like we, the government printed trillions of dollars, but they didn't actually print anything. Cause if we had to print it, it would have taken a long time for us to have gotten them, that printed money into the hands of the people. So now in today's world, money is electronic. It's a fantasy. It's this, it's a very faith-based system. And people don't like to talk about that or embrace that. But if we're in a world where we can just, boom, alter the, the ledger, this is fantasy land. This is fictitious. So it's not a zero-sum game. So you actually have an obligation to be wildly successful so that you can fulfill your life's mission on the planet. Now, if you become wildly successful and you hoard it all, I think that's wrong because what was the point of it? But if you became wildly successful so that you could give bigger, that you could make a bigger impact, I think that's the whole, that's the name of the game for every single man, woman, and child on the planet. I, I say, I just say an amen to that. You know, one of the things I know you and Lacey talk a lot about, and we talk a lot about, and it was a discovery from, you know, doing this for as long as I've done it, is that you would go in to see somebody that was in some financial trouble. Maybe one of those people that you talked about a few minutes ago that might be in some IRS trouble or might be in some debt or might have some something upside down somewhere in their life. And you went in there and you fixed the problem and you cleaned up the mess and you gave them like a fresh start. And you go, wow. And you patted yourself on the back and you said, oh my God, I've changed these people's lives. And you come back a year or two later and their problems were, and, and you, you helped them grow their business and, and you doubled their income or tripled their income. And you go, oh my God, I, we, we've done such great work for these people. They should love us. And then we come back a year or two years later and they're in five times the mess because we've doubled or tripled their income, which maybe made their problems 10x because they had bad values around money. They, were, they still have the same bad behaviors around money, the same bad habits, the same bad things and the mindset. And until we change that mindset, it was like all we were doing is giving uh, you know, a fifth of vodka to an alcoholic. We, we, were, we were doing no good work. They would have been better off in debt hell and, and dealing with that than, than what, what, what occurred and thinking we're doing such a good job. Do you see a lot of that? I know you guys coach to that. I know I coach to that a lot. L love to hear your comment on that. Yeah, and it kind of goes back to my point earlier, right? I think a lot of people, they were telling you like, hey, you know, I'm in this situation and I need your help. One, the situation they didn't want, but then, you know, when they got out of it, they had ill-defined goals. They, they didn't know where they were going. And so, yeah, the car gets going, you know, hundred miles, 150 miles an hour. And they're like, whoa, and they get nervous. I, 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 I relate to that, like skiing, like you start skiing and if you get going real fast and you're like, well, I'm, well, I'm going too fast. And now I don't have like a lot of options. I can either just tumble or I'm not really sure what to do. I think that happens to a lot of business owners and businesses. You know, I think that there's also something to you realize that you've built this big business and then there's sacrifices that need to be made. Um, and maybe you didn't know about them or you're not prepared to make those sacrifices. Sacrifices like you might, you know, miss your child's soccer practice. And you're like, I don't know if I signed up for this. And that is something that I um, deal with a lot with people. I talk about in my book how when my daughters were young, where they were very young, and this is a very controversial position. But I missed a lot of their stuff. Like I missed their, 
you know, um, talent show or, you know, cheer tryouts and things. And I, I'm not saying I was an absentee father, but I, you know, there were some times that I was like, oh, I wish I could go to that, but I didn't because I was building a business. But later on in life, and I've witnessed the same thing with you. I've been around you with, with your children. Um, later on in life, my my 25 and 22-year-old daughters, well, my, my, my oldest daughter, when she was in um, college, texted me every day. And I would tell my friends that, like, oh, my daughter's texting. And literally, like, oh, it's every day. She texts me every day and, and, you know, just tells me what's up, good, bad, or otherwise. Like, hey, you know, we're going out partying or, you know, I'm studying or whatever that whatever she was up to. I remember Lacey and I took our daughters to Australia one spring break and we were sitting at dinner and I was like, so I just want to ask you, did I make a mistake? You know, I, I made tons of sacrifices and I missed talent shows and practices. Um, and I'm asking you straight up, like, was that a mistake? And my daughter said, you know, until you bring that up, it's not even in our consciousness. I don't, I didn't know you missed the talent show. I was six years old. Like, why would I know that? But what I do know is the lifestyle that we are afforded today. And I know that that is a product of the sacrifices that you made. So I think back to your question, I think a lot of people don't, they, they don't have that picture painted of that's what they want. And if you want to spend a lot of time with your kids, because that's what you want, that is very honorable. You go to the practices, but you have this um, conflicting idea of, I want to spend a ton of time with my kids, but I also want to have enough money saved up, saved up to send them to any Ivy League school that they want to go to. Those things sometimes aren't necessarily compatible at the same time. I mean, so timing is important as well. I think I don't mean to be sexist in this call, but imagine two guys with the angst that we have, because that's always the challenge. Did I do a good enough job? Like, I think I've been a good father. But again, you had the pressures of I was traveling. Same thing with you. I tried to make everything I could, but I missed some stuff. You know, was I the best? Could I be the best husband I could be? Could I be the best? You know, like, like sometimes like you beat yourself up and not to be sexist, but I think in our society, women have it even worse. <laughs> You know, mm, me, meaning yeah. that they're almost been culturally to think that if they're not perfect, they've done a terrible job as a mother or as a wife or as a business partner or anything. I mean, because imagine, I mean, you and I are talking about this and and it's, uh, you know, it's it's just one of those things where you just, you know, all you, all I can say is like, I think I did the best I could with the tools that I had. I think I threaded the needle as best as I c could. I feel like I did a good job. And all I just try to do is improve and learn and just try to make the best decisions that I could make and, and make the tools with the tool. But it's, but I, you're never, it's like going to, you know. I mean, I don't know anybody who said to me, oh, I spent too much time with my kids. Right, <laughs> you know, right. oh, yeah, yeah, I spent too, oh, yeah, those kids got enough of me or, you know, or, or, you know, well, I was good to my wife in the first couple of years of the marriage, so that's going to have to hold her for the next 20 <laughs> years, you know? Yeah, yeah, I was good to her in 2005, so, you know, uh, six, so, uh, you know, but it's, you know, and, and you never feel like you're doing enough, but I, but I also think that that's why you're successful at what you do, Sean, because, the idea is that that you want to be your very but you want to show up in elegance and excellence everywhere in your life and you want to be the best that you can be and the best person you can be and I, again that's why you have the attraction power that's why i uh you know i don't i don't think i don't think there's any entrepreneur that couldn't benefit from being a black diamond club member and all that's why i tell you know anybody i know i'm going to tell them i i wouldn't walk to the black diamond club i'd run and hope they accept me you know i think that you are a special person i think you've got a special company I respect and honor what you've created. But the thing that gets me excited about our relationship is two things. One is I'm excited to see what you're going to create in the next five or 10 years, because I think it'll be epic compared to what you've done in you over the last 10. And I, and I think the second would be that uh, I think you, 
if I can be part of it, you and I are going to have a lot of fun and and change a lot of lives uh, together over the next decade. And so all I, I just want to tell you, I want to just want to appreciate you. And uh, I just want to let you know that you've got somebody who not only believes in what you do, I personally would do anything to support you and help you in any way that I could. And, and just thank you for coming on the podcast. We love and appreciate you and Lisa and the entire family. And uh, Lisa and I really appreciate you uh, welcoming, welcoming us in with uh, open arms. I hope you enjoyed the episode today on the Hero of the Hour podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe on whichever platform you are listening to this on. If this episode made you think of someone, go ahead, take a screenshot and share the podcast episode with them. You can catch the show notes for this episode and more at www.markbmurphy.com forward slash podcast. Be sure to check out the other great books and resources on the website while you're there. Once again, it's www.markbmurphy.com forward slash podcast. All links can be found in the description below. We look forward to serving you on the next episode. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by PAS or Guardian, and opinions stated are their own. Registered Representative and Financial Advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS. OSJ, 200 Broad Hollow Road, Suite 405, Melville, New York, 11747, 631-589-5400. Securities products and advisory services offered through PAS, member FINRA, SIPC. Financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Northeast Private Client Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. California Insurance License Number 0B36048. Arkansas Insurance License Number 741545. Expiration and submission numbers located in the show notes.